0: Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text, a weekly podcast where a couple seminary profs uh, geek out on the lectionary text for the upcoming Sunday and uh, explore it and swap some initial sermon starter ideas. Uh, Hopefully this will be of some equipping and edification and enjoyment for uh, pastors and leaders preparing sermons or teachings or just anyone who wants to explore the scriptures with us. On a regular basis, so my guest this week is Aaron Perry, my most regular uh, co-host here on Fresh Text. It's coming out to be about fifty percent. He's here about every other week, and then uh, usually I try to have a, a special guest on the off weeks. But uh, uh, but Aaron is just as special. Uh, so yeah, so uh, me and Aaron uh, talk about a passage from John chapter thirteen about the 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 hour in which the Son of Man is glorified. Uh, so we'll get into that here in a moment. Make sure to uh, subscribe to us on uh, iTunes uh, podcast app or whatever podcast app you use. Uh, feel free to rate us and uh, write a review um, because that uh, public glory helps with the uh, logarithms that gets the word out so that more people can uh, enjoy this podcast. Uh, so that'd be a nice favor to us if you are want. And uh, yeah, now to the show. <laughs> Uh, So, yeah, let's uh, turn in our Bibles to the Gospel according to St. John, chapter the 13th, reading verses 31 through 35. This is the reading assigned for year C on the, let's see, fifth Sunday of Easter. So, per the lectionary custom, there's heavy uh, use of the Gospel of John during uh, both Lent and Easter um, so the otherwise Luke and heavy gospel readings are substituted with quite a bit of John. So, yeah, anyway, so this is John. This is from the yeah, John chapter, what did I say, 13? Yeah,
1: 13, 31, 31 to 35. through 35. All right. You want to read or you want I'll me to read? i love Sweet. to. Sweet. Do it. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And there ends the reading of today's gospel, the word of God.
0: Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you in this hour would glorify your son, Jesus Christ. He was glorified with you from all eternity And you glorified him once for all in his death and resurrection. And you will glorify him universally and for all to see Mm. in his coming again in glory. And so in this time between the times, between the time of his first coming and his final coming, we ask that you would bring glory to your son in a fresh, distinct way befitting this hour not the hour of his perfect glorification, not the day of his final glorification, but on this little day, this day of this little hour, this little moment, when we set aside some time to study the word and seek to find a word that feeds our soul and in turn authorizes us to feed the sheep that you've entrusted to us. So I ask that I and Aaron and all those listening in may be given the eyes to see the glory of your son, Jesus, that we may be a witness to his glory for the sake of the flock of God entrusted to each of us. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So, yeah, John 13, 31 through 35. I had a, a kind of proposed uh Kind of plan of attack today. I thought maybe in our first section we could just chase down any bunny trails we want like we normally do Um, and then maybe kind of camp out on a theme in the middle section. I can wait to unveil the theme, (laughs) although you might be able to guess. It's glory, so I'll just (laughs) do it. Spoiler alert, it's glory. Um, Maybe we might camp out on that a little. I know you're a fellow John lover and John geek, so we might kind of move beyond the passage, kind of try to stay in the immediate context for the first third, and then maybe talk about glory as a theme. Mm-hmm. And then in the third section, see where we might want to go with that with preaching. And we don't have to run with the glory thing. Who knows? It could yeah. go another direction, but is that cool? Let's do it. All right. Sorry. I overthink structure. It's Occupational hazard. Um, yeah. So what, uh, what jumps out at you right out of the gate? Anything striking?
1: Uh, John's framing of the time. When he Judas was gone, Jesus said, "Now is the son." So there's a, hmm. you know, there's framing of this of this time, uh, and I mean time being, of course, an important theme in the Gospel of John itse- itself, right? His time had not yet come, or his time had come, and I think just before this, uh, when he meet, encounters the Greeks, he says, "Now the time is the hour has come," right? So I it's think like glory
0: even, right? Is yeah. there is there a glory reference there too?
1: Uh John twelve twenty three, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Yeah. So, so even as Son of Man language, just yeah, like here. It's it's like getting even it's like it's like narrowing yeah. even narrowing in more and more and that that connection to the betrayal <sighs> and to glory. I mean wow. I, I it it's it strikes me every time I reflect on Paul's passage for for communion, which of course predates Paul, but uh, on the night when Jesus was betrayed. Yeah. That, like that framing of it is just is so existentially weighty.
0: And that that just is the hour of his glorification, yeah. that, that that it's not, that there's this direct link. I mean, I I might look it up later, but I know it in Mark, there's this moment when he says, you know, now the, you know, there's a use, there's language of the hour, you know, now the hour um, has come for the son of man to be betrayed or something like that. And this language of our son of man. And it's right in the Gethsemane scene, transitioning from prayer to Judas coming, Mm. you know, so Mm -hmm. there's, there's this weightiness of the hour and it's like the hour of his hand being handed over. And it's also the hour of his glory. And it seems like one of John's agendas in his writing Mm -hmm. is to, to highlight the, not just the link, but the, I want to say the identity of Christ's being handed over and Christ being glorified, that these are one and the same thing, right? Um, they're linked really strong in like Luke, right? In Luke, we, keep, we kept talking, we kept noticing, right? The son of man must be handed over, da-da-da-da-da, and then glorified, right? He doesn't, go, he doesn't get into glory until he's got to suffer first, then glory. So that's a link, right? Um, you can't have one without the other and there's a clear sequence, John, it seems to be more like they're one and the same thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> to be yeah. handed over is to be glorified. And it's not a, it's not a disagreement about the chronology of events, but it is a, a difference of emphasis. Um, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, Paul is a little closer to Luke in his language of, you know, until he comes again. Is it comes again in glory? I'm trying to remember. I'm looking at it real quick. Uh, on the night that he was betrayed, uh, handed over his death. Yeah. Until he comes again. Yeah. So not glory. I'm just, that, that sometimes appears in a, the sometimes in a worship services, you know, the, we'll say until he comes again in glory. (laughs) Um, but you get that sense. Like we tend to associate glory with resurrection and final return of Christ rightly. So, you know, Mm -hmm. and I feel like John really wants us to kind of see, right. When I am lifted up, right. Exalted when I'm glorified, you know, yeah. this is the way he dies. It's yeah. the, the seeing the cross as his glory, yeah. rather than as just the suffering that comes before the glory. Right. Is this making any sense? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. and because it's, no it's, one's it's, ever it's, seen that before. It's, <laughs> it's the It's the true revelation of of the nature of God. That this is this is the very nature of God to to uh, be giving of Himself. Which I mean, takes us into Trinitarian theology. That that there is no conceiving of God without without conceiving of God being one who gives of himself in whom there is self-giving and receiving and being given. Right. And you can just flesh it all the way up. But. Yeah. Well, and
0: we can go there and we, we can go there without having to leave the text behind. Right. Cause this sure. is all, oh, yeah. this is all God and son, father and son. Right. It's really striking how, um, right. So you get this kind of, it's four different ways of saying it right in 31, 32, right. Now the son of man is glorified, right? And God, actually, it's, it's is it it's arist, right? It's past tense, right? Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in Him, right? Which also could be by Him, with Him. I don't know. We leave that open. If God is has been glorified in Him, and God will be glorified, and God will glorify Him. In him, which Mm -hmm. is weird. Uh, And immediately he will glorify him, right? So there's like past, present, future, right? And five different phrases. And it's all this movement of Mm. like from father to son. But then it's also like the father is in some sense kind of in the son. And the father himself is being glorified in and through the son back, right? So this is Mm -hmm. that. Your reference to... What would you call it eternal self giving was mm-hmm. that the language you used like yeah i mean that that language actually fits the 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 logic of this passage, this mm-hmm. giving and receiving um it's not like the father's like, oh, I'm going to give you half of my glory right it's it's the giving of the glory from father to son just is the father. Being glorified, There's no competition between their glories, Mm -hmm. which of course is not how glory usually works.
1: And it it forms the basis of the, of the new love ethic that this command that the passage was into Uh, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. It's again, the self self giving, which has been modeled earlier in the, in the washing of the disciples feet. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's the, the nature of God is forming the, the Christian ethic about what it, what it looks like. And I think this is so important as you, I mean, I'm going to get into later on, but that's okay. But, but not to have a, an abstract ethic of love. That the the ethic of love in the Christian faith is grounded in the person of Jesus Christ. And the, the ethic of Jesus ultimately is in service of giving of himself for, for others, but in a way that's grounded in what he gives to the father. That he is, he, he is acting in service in obedience to the father, not acting in service in obedience to other people. Um, And there's a distinction there, right? One one is one is service to God and one is a kind of idolatry that is just detrimental and leads to all kinds of injustice and abuse. Um, I think it's really important for us to keep grounding that love ethic back in the actual Trinitarian theology.
0: Yeah. Life of God as revealed in Christ. So, so you have the, the mutual giving of glory between father and son, which he even says in John 17 verse 24, uh, you know, so that they may see my glory, which you gave me because yeah. you loved me before the founding of the world, right? So yeah. it's love and glory are even connected yeah. later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's this, we'll call this uh, the loving exchange of glory between father and son, right? Um, that made you grin. <laughs> <That's> beautiful. <laughs> oh, okay. thanks. Yeah. All right. Um, this loving exchange of glory between father and son, which is then the ground and motivation and reasoning for the loving exchange of glory between father and son, like in time in the death and resurrection of Jesus, mm-hmm. right? The giving of his life, the receiving back of his life, mm-hmm. um, which then in turn issues forth the commandment of mutual giving of glory. You could even say the, the right kind, yep. uh, the recognition of one another, the mutual love between the disciples. Cause it says love one another. Um, obviously the gospels also talk about loving, your neighbor loving your enemies. Right. But John's gospel tends to focus on the loving between mm-hmm. and among Christians, um, disciples highlighting even in verse 35, all will know, like there's going to be this, this also this love in the world. Um, but I think you're right pushing against any, it's really easy for me to just start. I mean, my, my version here even has a paragraph break at 34, which is misleading mm-hmm. according to your reading. I mean, paragraph breaks are not, Right or wrong. They're, they're just choices you got to make. Some are better than others, but that is a somewhat problematic. Yeah. yeah. According to your hunch that there's a connection here, right? That this love, this, this, uh, this glory between father and son is what issues forth then the new commandment. Well, you yeah, I mean I, it is I, a new thought. It's not wrong to have a new paragraph, but I'm right, saying it's, right. it's sometimes good to interrogate. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I, section breaks, paragraph breaks in your translations—they're not original. Our oldest manuscripts—it's just all runs together.
1: I wonder, <laughs> so, and I wonder if verse 33 forms a link. Then, oh, where, walk us through that. Where yeah. Jesus takes the. Posture of the Father, calling them my children, right? and, and he's the one who he's the one who gives the command. Right? He's he's taking the he's in a posture of obedience, and now and in so doing, it's like he's authorized to be in this posture of authority over them. Yeah,
0: that's great. That, that, I mean, I don't want to go there too quick, but First John, you know, has the you know dear children, mm. you know beloved. Mm. We know that we are children of God. We are now children of God, but what we will be, you know, that but this language of God loving us is what makes us children, right? All the way back to John one, right? We are, uh, children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. But the idea that what I'm hearing you say is that in some sense, the relationship between father and son in eternity, and even in time in his, in his, uh, incarnation is in some sense, the, the ground, the model of the relationship of then Christ to us, as if Mm -hmm. we're in a kind of position of, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Hebrews talks about him being our older brother through whom we have God as our father. And that's great, yep. but that's not, that's only one side of the analogy. Another side is that he's now our father, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm tracking you, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm getting kind of spacey and theological, but you know, whatever. Uh, this is not good exegesis. There's no word. The tr- word Trinity does not appear in this passage. <laughs>
1: you know, I, was, I was thinking about that I don't the other care. Day. It's fine. <laughs> is, I'm, I'm reading a book right now, and the fellow's making his case. And, the, and so he's marshalling all this evidence from within the case to prove his thesis. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. And I was like, the only way he sees some of the things he sees is because he already holds his thesis. Right. And so there's always exegesis that's performed in, in exegesis. But you can, and you can only do it that way. Mm-hmm. Like some things you can only read out of the text if you're looking for it to be there. Mm-hmm. And the key is to subject your lenses to how you see every once in a while to do other people see the, see this the way I do it. And are, are, are my lenses clean? Are they appropriate? Are they helpful? Do other people find them helpful? Right. So I think there's always a mixture of looking for things and only seeing things that are actually there only if you're looking for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think the worst kind of, I is the kind that is, well, there's a handful of things that drive me nuts, but. One of the things that I'm susceptible to is if I say Jesus is reading into the text, like if I might be reading more than what's there, that may not be the most dangerous thing in the world, except when I, I, th- I think it gets more dangerous when I suppress contrary evidence mm-hmm. that yep. you get what I'm saying. Yep. Yep. And right. I think you can control for that without trying to be this perfect reader who never brings mm-hmm. your humanity to your reading, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, because, yeah. uh, um, but you have to like, and, and there's a whole way, a bunch of ways to control some of which you mentioned chatting with others, coming Absolutely. back to the text, doing something like a lectionary. So you're reading texts that you might not have chosen because yeah. even your selection of text has yeah. an effect on what kind of data you expose yourself to. But yeah. I'm, it's a, it's a strong practice of mine that like when I bump into something that doesn't fit the way I'm going to read it, I, I try to like say, Oh boy, that doesn't fit and not try to make it fit too fast. Yeah. You know, yeah. to just let it not fit for a while. Yeah. Because um, I have a tendency to want to make everything fit,
1: yeah. like, and not to throw at everything yeah. that you've already brought to it. Not to yeah. say, oh, I've got to adjust everything. No, just let it sit for, like, like live in that tension for a little while. Yeah. Um, anyways, but Okay, I've got, I've got to do it. Yeah. I've just got a really out there thought. Okay, and part of this is is emerging from what I'm reading. So I'm reading about uh, Saturn right now. So Cronus, the god, god Cronus from the Romans, and I'm like, okay, Cronos, Cronus, There's some Sounding the same there. John has this theme of night, mm-hmm. and dark. Mm-hmm. Saturn is this God with darkness, death associated with with him. Uh Saturn eats babies.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: And
0: time eats its children. Yeah. I
1: mean. <laughs> and we, we have we have theme of, of eating Jesus in yeah. in John. Uh you ever read uh Saturnine themes in the Gospel of John?
0: Yeah, well, I, I'll, I'll give a quick response. I mean, there was a, there was an era, you know, 50 plus years ago that lasted a good hundred plus years. So late 19th, early 20th century, when John was thought of as having been written in like the second century, um, because it's so, there's a lot of themes that can be read against a kind of Greco-Roman background, against the background mm-hmm. of these, even Logos in the opening, mm-hmm. you know, gives them, And, I mean, Boltman's whole commentary is kind of built on this assumption. And, of course, a lot of insights can come out of that. You can see these kind of early Gnostic themes. The Gnostics loved the Gospel of John, even though he also is pushing against some of their themes. They can run with it. And then the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, (laughs) right, in the late 40s. And light, logos, uh, uh, um, night, and dark, all all these themes were all over the Dead Sea Scrolls in their commentaries on Isaiah and and in their Mm -hmm. writings. Mm -hmm. And this was kind of a... And there was also a not I can't remember if it's before or after Dead Sea Scrolls discovery, but there was also a discovery of an early papyrus of John, like that can be dated by carbon dating to like the nineties or yeah, something, right? Yeah. So these two discoveries, I mean, there's a story that one of Don Jewell told um one of my New Testament profs, where one of his teachers came into class one time, right after the P P thirty seven or whatever it is, the, that papyrus. So I think it was in the fifties, it was when he was in grad school. And his prof came into the door with his John commentary. And went to the back of the room and dropped it in the trash can. <laughs> <laughs> I also remember that being the day when I'm like, I think I want to become a theologian. I don't want to go into. A, I don't want to go into a. I don't want to go into a business, <laughs> into a field where that might happen. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, because my work is not dependent on any actual empirical <laughs> evidence. Right? I'm kidding, but sort of. Um, but anyway. Uh, but, yeah, like, uh, why am I going on this bunny trail? Well, it's, it's in order to answer your question to say that, like, we've kind of had this big overcorrection in the last, last 50 mm-hmm. years to read John against his Jewish background. Mm-hmm. So a lot of recent commentaries don't go into that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But the older ones do, probably too far. And I think it's actually high time to come back to that now to say that, like, an author like John probably is thinking, he's thinking yeah. as a Hebrew. These are the primary background of his thought. But he's not an idiot. He's aware that this is going to have reverberations to a more Greek or Gentile audience. And he may be engaging in double double layers, mm. right? So he talks about night um, earlier in John 11 when he's going to go heal Lazarus. He says, are there not 12 days in an hour or uh, 12 hours in a day, excuse me. Night is coming when we do no, when man will do no work, right? Mm-hmm. So night's already kind of associated with his ministry being done. His ministry is during the day. He's the light of world. Mm-hmm. When his, the day is done, his hour has come and now it's night, mm-hmm. which is when he's handed over and he doesn't do any work. It's the father's work. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually the cross is not spoken of as, as the work of the son right. in John. It's, it's the work of the father glorifying him mm-hmm. in death and resurrection. So I think that whether there's an intentional connection to Kronos and Saturn, I don't know. But at least those themes of night and darkness well, as kind of the... And then he's going to be the light that shines in that darkness. And glory right. is light. There's no question that glory means weight and light. There's kind of shininess. Mm-hmm. So glory has this association with light. So the fact that he's being glorified precisely by being eaten up, swallowed up in death, mm-hmm. right... I think you're dead on that there's this kind of intentional play yeah. with night, dark,
1: death, oh, life, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, whether it's, you know, Saturn or not, I don't know. But
1: Well, yeah. I mean, part of that's just, it's hard to read what's into the, it's just inter, it, well, you test it on, right? That, that, that's a hypothesis. It's like, that's right. maybe I go looking for it. Maybe I see how does this hypothesis illuminate some other things mm-hmm. and how um, in in this case, I'm thinking about how darkness is used in the gospel of John. So Nicodemus comes at night. Mm -hmm. um, The trial happens at night. Mm -hmm. It's like like night, night is present and is there, but it's always under, it's always subjective. It's being used to the purposes of God Mm -hmm. that, that the timing blindness. Yeah. Yeah. The the timing is, is, uh, is still God's timing. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And I'm thinking about even the, the, the night of betrayal. So Peter is, is out it's night and it's cold right cold and death mm-hmm. uh, but there's fire right there's 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 pockets of it and even the, and even how that event of the the threefold denial is going to get swallowed up in the threefold reaffirmation, reinstitution of peter so so i'm i'm thinking of like this what it helps me do is see and all this all this started with with when judas was gone jesus said now at the time
0: is is that and it was night it's very e- da, da, da. even yeah
1: yeah, yeah the, just the verse before he went out and right. it was night um in, it helps me complicate that this there are dualisms but it's not dualistic it's still it's yeah. still God is supervening over this whole that's thing right. it's all unfolding within his within his ability or to put another like Kronos S- Saturn is is still subject to that's right. to yeah, Job yeah, 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 to yeah. Jupiter right like like there's still life that's going to come out and and uh, so that people understand where I'm reading right? like I'm reading some of these this early Greco-Roman god gods and, and planets um but it's helpful. It's helpful for me to, to wonder if that theme is there and then to have a theological conclusion to it that, that John is still well aware that, um, there's dualisms, mm-hmm. right? There is light and dark, but it's, it's, it's underneath the, it's still couched in, in a creation story, right? In, yeah. In the beginning, uh, was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, uh, that, that, that this is still couched and framed within God's purposes. And I'm thinking about, If we were to tie that into the theme of glory, that even this, this connection, I don't, I don't want to say collapsing. It's not that, it's not that death and life are collapsed into being called the same thing, but they are connected that, that the death Mm -hmm. of Christ is to the purposes is, is used to God's purposes, which is to glorify the son, Mm -hmm. you know, so they're not collapsed. And there's such an important distinction that, that life and death aren't collapsed into one another, which you might have in some kind of pantheism right. they are they're connected they're not the same thing it's a duality
0: not a dualism is the way i would put the distinction you know yeah i'm I'm, um, I'm trying to say
1: it like there's dualisms so There's not dualistic, dualistic yeah, yeah. yeah it's we're, we're making the, the same distinction conceptual but, point yeah using different yeah that's terms. right that's right is how are these connected and and i think that boy that that's really helpful for i'm going into section three do it no 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 no. that's (laughs) is is important for people to have a wider view of glory because we usually have a stunted imagination when it comes to glory that glory is recognition glory is is obvious glory is overt and yet there's something maybe a little more complicated about it something more subtle and deep
0: Well, let's take a short break and come back and maybe get into that a little bit more we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. We're looking at John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35 with my guest Aaron Perry. And yeah, we wanted to focus a little bit on glory, kind of pick up where you're talking about there. That that Greco-Roman stuff was really exciting me because there's the comparison, but then I'm also thinking of like the contrast, right? So Kronos, the god of time, and it's not even these of time, he just is time. I mean, this is a more... There's not a strict creator-creature distinction in the Greek mind. Um, Kronos eats his children, which is code for everybody dies. Right? Time goes on, people die. And and then the the, the those and then the leader of the Olympians, which is which is uh Zeus, who becomes Jupiter in in the West, um he leads the revolt against mm-hmm. the Titans, mm-hmm. against led by Kronos. And the revolt is not to kill Kronos, because we want time but to cage him so Mm. that he can no longer Mm. eat his children. So he's one of the children. So Zeus is a, Mm. is a child of Kronos. Um, And this is how the Olympians won immortality. That's why they're called immortals is because they, time doesn't kill them off. Right. Uh, They just keep on going. Right. They're not eternal in the, in the way that later Christian theology thinks of a kind of maybe a timeless God, a God beyond time. Uh, It's much more of a ongoing, continuous uh, temporality. Um, So, but the humans keep, they still die, right? And I kind of almost, you can almost kind of see like Jesus as a, as a sort of alternative yeah. to the Zeus story, yeah, right? As one who doesn't sort of cage time, yeah. but is sent precisely into mm-hmm. time to be eaten up by it and therefore defeat it from within, right? So that, you know, he's a kind of alternative Jupiter or uh, who who instead of sort of like winning immortality unites immortality and mortality, well, right? And the immortal became mortal. So yeah. the mortals might become immortal. So quote Athanasius, right? But that mm. kind of, that's what I want to play with. And it'll
1: probably connect up to well, glory eventually, but go ahead. Well, I'm just, I mean, the contrast is, is really easily seen then as opposed to son being against father, son and father. Right. Operating. Correct. <laughs> harmoniously. And and right, in the it's the father's above. time, the hour. That's right is the hour set by the father. How, yeah, obviously the, the yeah. son, the son is not in Good. rebellion to the father is subjected to his role within it is, mm-hmm. is subjecting himself to the father's purposes um, is subjecting himself to the purposes of the father in time mm-hmm. and waiting for his time to, to come. That's right. Um,
0: and by doing so, there's not a, and this comes back to glory. Then the glory of the father and the son are not in competition with each other. Whereas, yeah. you know, whereas like for, for, for humans to, pay homage to a God other than Zeus, Zeus is offended. Mm. Right. And this is the groundwork of the Imperial religion of Greece and Rome to worship other gods, but not be willing. I mean, this is why the Christians got persecuted Mm -hmm. is they paid homage to Christ as their God, which is fine. As long as you also pay homage to the Caesar as Lord, but to say Jesus is Lord Mm -hmm. and to be, not willing to say Caesar is Lord, mm-hmm. another means that his glory mm-hmm. uh, is per, perceived as a competitor mm-hmm. that needs to be stamped out. Mm-hmm. And like in those early Christian communities, this is a funky kind of glory because it's a bunch of slaves and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know who converts from Judaism who love each other. Right? <laughs> it's this weird kind of inverted glory, like you were saying. It's not glory is a ro- it's royal language, right? It's the yeah. weight that someone yep. can. When you talk about yep the weight that someone can throw around in a meeting, right? Yep. That's their glory. Yep. And like you said, it is recognition and, and glory without the concept of recognition isn't even glory anymore, but it, it recognition doesn't have to mean the exaltation of human good opinion, right? It can be the exalt, the, the, the glory, the recognition that God is with you and sees you even in your suffering and shares with, shares it mm-hmm. with you, mm-hmm. right? Cause in some sense he's now, you know, not all suffering well, is just made good here, but there is glory precisely in his death. And as he turns around as father to the disciples as his children, yeah. he's already in these same passages, he's going to predict you guys too are going to be persecuted. Yeah. And don't think that that means I've rejected you. There's mm-hmm. glory even in that.
1: Yeah. So yeah. what were you saying? Oh, just I mean, spinning off some of the recognition there, there need not, there need not be affirmation of, of valor or virtue and recognition. It may simply be, uh, a seeing of reality as it really is that there is the person who mm-hmm. who has the badge, there is the person who holds the gavel, there is the person who has the final word, right? There's a recognition of who's in, of who's the boss, of who's in charge. And, um, well, and it comes back to love. I mean, in some sense, glory is being redefined by love here. That's right. The, 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 yeah. Right. Bring back, is, is the combination of this, of this, um, loving, loving the one. And recognizing that the one who is ruling is the one who is giving of himself. I mean, there's there's a total turning of of things around. Oh, I'm thinking of Thomas, right? The the words of Thomas, right? The imperial language of "My Lord and My God" Mm. is now given to Jesus. Is this turning around? And in a sense, it's like the the crucified,
0: mangled, tortured one—the one who's
1: tortured by Rome. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. There, there's this, there's this total turning around of the story, and I think is one of the important. Evidences of truth of the historical truth of the Christian faith is that this story doesn't emerge unless there's something that radically affirms this upside downness of their way yeah. of seeing things. Like they don't talk about the the glory of the cross unless there is a resurrection, yeah, and then they sure. see, then they see it connected. So I mean, you, you can see in a sense how this this reshapes everything that they're trying to do, and 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 this pulling of maybe it's why John wrote chose to wrote this chose to yeah. write this gospel. Right? It's like, how do I flesh out this upside downness in, in new language and new ways and new themes? And yeah. I mean, if you didn't have Gospel of John
0: and um, maybe the book of Revelation, if you didn't have the Johannine literature in the broad sense, right? Um, the, with some interesting twists, the broad consensus would just be that the glory of the cross is the resurrection. That's what make that is the glory of the cross. It, it's, a sec, it's the second thing that happens, yep. you know. And now, like I say, there's twists and turns. It's more subtle than that. But whereas John is like completely pressing in the other direction, and actually, this is another one of those exegetical Jesus things. It's precisely John's emphasis on the glory of the cross as such that then helps us to see. In Paul and Luke and Mark, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. it makes
1: it easier to yeah. see like, oh, it really is there that too. it's
0: actually a little more subtle than that. Yep. Um, not that it's not already there, but, but sometimes good eisegesis can breed good exegesis because you're asking a question you forgot to ask because you're so stuck in the way you've always read the text. Yeah. Yeah. This redefining glory by love is really huge because I was thinking about recognition. I was thinking about how like when, when I like come home. <laughs> I sometimes, I'm such a weirdo. But like sometimes when I come home from like work, if I'm the last one home, the kids are already home. If, if Mandy's already home, which is more often, she's on sabbatical this semester. So like she's usually already home when I get home. And, and I come in and I always like come in the door and I close the door and I just kind of wait for them to all come to me. Do You know what I mean? uh, recognize yes. me. And I've started just saying, the hour has come to glorify <laughs> the father. You know, like you just being stupid, right? And, uh, but like over the time I've been learning, like, It's from this phrase in John 12 when it, when it says that the, that there were some who believed in Jesus but didn't confess them because they were afraid of the Pharisees, um, because they loved the glory of God more than the glory of men. Mm. And in the context, along with verse, you know, chapter five that talks about you're too busy giving glory, giving and receiving glory to each other to believe, this idea that I'm realizing more and more that that is, what's called a subjective genitive more than an objective genitive. It's not saying you're more interested in glorifying yourself than glorifying God. Actually it's the flip in the context. It's meaning you're more interested in getting approval, glory from human beings than from God. Hmm. There's actually very little, most of the references to glory are actually coming to either Jesus or to mm-hmm. other humans. And it's like, who do you get your glory from? It's not just about glorifying God. It's about wanting God to glorify you rather than others to glorify mm-hmm. you, if that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. glory just means the good opinion that people have of you. And whose good opinion do I want? You know, Whose recognition? This is that recognition mm-hmm. talk. And I'm learning, I mean, that, like I say, it's silly when I come home. But there's an element of truth in it. Like we sometimes talk about, I learned, we learned it from a counselor who said, you need to have ooh and ah time. You know, just come up and say, I need some ooh and ah time. I'm going to tell you about what I did today and I want you to ooh and ah. Like, I I don't want you to give feedback about how I could do it differently. I just want you to celebrate (laughs) me. And that's a genuine human need. Humans need to be affirmed, to be recognized. Again, as you are, not assessed for my excellence, but just accepted. And that's a beautiful glory that doesn't compete. Because if it's about assessing who's up and who's down, then it's competitive. But if it's the glory of love, Mm -hmm. then it's just be... It's just ooh and awe. Mm-hmm. I'm oohing and aing at you not because you have more or less virtue, mm-hmm. but because you're you, and mm-hmm. I've chosen you. Mm-hmm. Is this making
1: sense? Uh, it's Trinitarian theology. <laughs> yeah, you're right? right. You're right. It, you're right, it, right. It, yeah. it is that, and and this is an important distinction between between Trinitarian theology and other kinds of monotheisms, where oohing and awing within a triune Godhead is not about uh, it, there's not a scarcity of glory. That's to right. Go it's around. not meeting a need that's and, lacking. And, and in right. the same way. This is such an important distinction. Whenever people think that that the worship of human beings to God, and there is, of course, that theme in in Scripture that that we are to ascribe glory and honor to God, is not because God is insecure, but it is a way of training us to uh, how do we do this mm-hmm. not only for God but to each other mm-hmm. and in a way that's God-centered so that the glory I give to other people isn't just to curry their favor in a kind of manipulative way, right. but it is in a way that it keeps the cycle going. Right. It's, it's to it's- give glory
0: to him the way that he gives it to us, freely, without any... Need in Mm -hmm. return. Yeah. Yeah. We owe God glory, but he doesn't need glory. That's right. Right. It's a necessity for us.
1: God is glorified in himself with with or without our, with with or without human glory, God is already glorified in himself and is maximally glorified already. Yeah. And
0: I think that's why he's owed glory because if there's any spare (laughs) glory, it would belong to him if his glory is infinite. But that also means if it's infinite, it doesn't compete. It means he can never run out. And so you can have some too. I love that. Like I said, that line from John 12, they love the glory from God, which is a good way to translate it, I think, more than the glory from men. They Mm. love the glory from men more than the glory from God. And I remember having this moment of like, just intuition, like inspiration. Mm. I don't know what the word was, invitation. To just be like, oh, like if I could just love the glory from God more than the glory from men, like if I could just get it to 51%, That would really transform, you know, like if I could just care more about what God thinks of me, Mm -hmm. right? God's recognition of me, Mm -hmm. um, his his attention, affection, affirmation, right? That that would totally transform the way I live in the world. Because most of the things I do that make me feel guilty, shameful, exhausted is chasing glory from other people. Mm. (laughs) It's getting them to notice me and to say I did a good job. It, Even if I'm not thinking of it consciously, it, it, that's what's driving me. So, so many yeah, of my choices. Yeah. And some of us do that publicly. Some yeah. of us like, oh, I don't struggle with that. Well, mm-hmm. but you might, there might be just that one person. Yeah. It might be just your spouse yeah. or a parent. There might just be that, yeah. you know, some of us don't chasing have the, the public obsession of, that I cha- fail in. But yeah.
1: Chasing the approval of specific people rather than the approval of the of the mob or the community. Right. Community.
0: It's still, it's still approval chasing. Yeah. And approval chasing is destructive.
1: Yeah. And you think, I mean, that makes such a difference. But you can't in just not care about approval. You have to learn no, to care about the right approval. <laughs> that that, that's yeah. why theological anthropology matters. Say right. more about that. Um, it matters that we understand as, ourselves as human beings in light of who God is and how God has uh, created us uh-huh. to be. That just to say, like, "Oh, I don't need anybody's approval." No, that, uh, that's a lie. That you're yes. gonna, that, that's going to lead to other destruction. Because if you actually live your life by that, you're going to have relationships and and <laughs> form other people in relationships that are going to say, "I don't need approval either." And then you have cold, right? There's coldness, right? You have you have um no we need the glory of love not the lack of glory we don't need yeah. to just be so, isolated individuals who don't need each to, other to properly say <laughs> god's I mean, not even like c.s lewis <laughs> had a had a line something like our lives are really one one big need or our lives are really one big lack and it's true like we uh, we do need glory yes, to simply it. say like we don't need it is an error in the wrong direction be false humility which is just pride it is now i was going to say when you said if i could just kind of get it to 51 percent and 49 that i care more about god's Mm-hmm. honor than the honor of others is man that makes such a difference in our actual day-to-day relationships because out of that you've got abundance to give to others you've got abundance right. to give to your children you've got abundance to give to your spouse you've got abundance to give to your boss right in, in a way that's not manipulative because huh. there's no end of it there's there's no end god god is so full of glory that whenever god gives glory He he doesn't have any less he still has just as much glory whenever he gives glory because there's no end of it. It's, it's infinite glory. And Which whenever if we commune in his economy of glory, we won't run out either. That's right. I now, think, interestingly, yeah. C.S. Lewis has this beautiful picture in The Great Divorce where this woman is, um, this man essentially wants glory from his wife and he wants her to say to him how she needs him. And, and, mm. and it's, it's this consistent thing of, of, of him wanting to, her to say, like, she needs him, uh, she needs, uh his love he's he's essential and she has this line where she says uh, i am in love and out of love i will not go and the the, the context mm. is she is in god and out of god she will not go he can go into love but she will not go out of love mm. and that pic that picture i think is is so beautiful um and and why finding ourselves in the glory of god is one that can be really threatening it can be threatening to those who are not in god because in that mindset in that view in that habitus there's a <laughs> scarcity of glory in god there is no scarcity and so you can be a completely differentiated person you can be one who who stands simply on the affirmation of god and not on others which is why jesus is such a remarkable person yeah he cares not for the glory of other people but out of that he's got this he's got this overflowing love yeah. to give to his friends Right.
0: <laughs> and therefore such he, he can, turns around and really does care such about that he, them.
1: He can offer, he can offer communion to Judas. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Because he doesn't care what Judas is, Judas is about to do in that sense. And even better than the, not
0: caring, the coldness and isolation. It's that um, he, he's attuned to God's timing mm. and knows that Judas is the first in a series of handing overs mm. that need to take place. Right. He can even see Judas as, as playing a role yeah. in a story that's unfolding. And there's, there's a place for trust, which again, if you, if you, if glory becomes defined by love and love always entails trust, right? And trust has to do with time, right? Mm. <laughs> Patience, right? If you trust that the glory I need will be fulfilled in the right time, I will be glorified at the time I need to be glorified. Then even those who seem to be totally at odds with your, your best interest. There can be a place. I mean, you know, Christ sees more than we do. Right. But there can be a place for trusting, you know, like what someone's doing right now is bringing shame rather than glory on me. You know, this coworker that's, that's working against me. It's making me look bad or whatever, you know, sorry. Um, (laughs) And to be able to start to adopt. And it's not just being a doormat. It's having uh, a sense of trust um, trust-filled love that says, "You know, God, I'm the glory that I need. That's most important comes from you, and it might come precisely through this, mm-hmm. precisely through this betrayal.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, um, and it may only be a hidden glory. You know, yeah, yeah. It may only be that I know that you see me. Yeah. You know, um, and that then I, by that, I'm inspired to love others. And the fact is, if you love others, they're gonna love you back. Not each individual one, but in the long run, overall, <laughs> when you love people, people end up loving you back, you know, and if you you'll miss it, if you're trying to just meet that glory need. But if you're open to love and it might not be the people you loved that loved you back, it might be a surprise,
1: you know, but uh, I, I was thinking of you probably know the line better than better than me. But uh, Kierkegaard has this line that whenever we love, we love in secret. Uh, we should not think that we are not being thought of, but love is thinking of us and love, love sees us, right? Love sees. Yeah. Um, I and that, see. and that glory may, this is, this is again, one of the reasons that Christians were free to pursue, uh, from one vantage point, ignoble deaths. Yeah. Was that they had a posture or they, they had, a, they had a, they had a, they had a theology that was greater than, than that which only could see. Because so many of them died yeah. ignoble deaths, and it wasn't just the reward of resurrection; it it, it was that, but that actually—that was the tangible expression the of God's glory. Resurrection but, is just a tangible expression right. of, of God honoring right. and God, seeing.
0: But they experienced His honor even in the death.
1: They didn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. They knew. Yeah the 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 uh, the 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 manifestation of that was well is going to come later. Right, like he'll be resurrected. And what the do they call day. them?
0: Martyrs, which is but, just the Greek word for witness. witness. And yep. they know. That. And yep. what do we witness to? God's in, glory, in, in, <laughs> right? Yeah, and, they're glorifying God and being glorified, and even the, in that,
1: uh, uh, again, a line from C.S. Lewis where he says, um, "An honorable death is is uh, is a great that that no one is too poor to attain." <laughs> and and this this whole view was giving. Glory and honor and, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Status, not status, but validation, not Mm -hmm. validation, something in there. I'm missing the word. It'll come to me, but to those who had had no standing. Yeah. Right. That had no standing. And, and in that, whenever that got hold of those who had wealth and status and they were able then to see the honor of God relativizes all other, all other glory, that that's a remarkable community. That, that's a remarkable community that, that has some hard thinking to do about how do we live that out, but they've got plenty of rationale to do that hard work of how do we honor one another in a worldview that's completely relativized honor. Yeah.
0: That's good stuff, man. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and land the plane on some uh, preaching ideas. we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. We're looking at John uh, chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. Um, I'm still John Drury, and this is still Aaron Perry. And we've been geeking out on this text, and then geeking out a little bit on the theme of glory. And that's a good conversation. I I learned a lot. I I don't think the glory-love connection has ever Mm. been so clear in my mind. And precisely by being clear, it's more mysterious than it ever was before. This is how
1: (laughs) one of the reasons I think it's so important for us to stay within the images that scripture gives us of the son and the father is Mm. not just to be not just to leave glory abstracted, but glory is understood in the recognition of the father to the son and the son. To the father that, that scripture doesn't, the, the, yes, we understand that the relationship is metaphorical, but in a way it's still, it's still truer than the abstraction.
0: Oh yeah. You know, well, I used to always, I used to always say in seminary, I went to a seminary where there was a lot of, there'd often be debate and discussion about gendered language for God. And I remember like when I would go to like a chapel service that would call God, she, that didn't bother me one bit. It's when they talked about God and God's self and never used any pronouns ever, just to be abstract. Mm-hmm. It's like, keep it concrete, at least. There are other metaphors. You know, you, the, the yeah. masculine metaphor is not the only mm-hmm. metaphor, yeah. but you yeah. can't have an unmetaphorical yeah. language, yeah. right? Then it just becomes this abstract philosophy of a genderless God, which isn't actually, there's no picture there, yeah. you know? Yeah, no uh, yeah, yeah it's no gotta warmth. be, like, I mean, I'm looking at this, you know, picture of Jesus, who's clearly like a dude, and he's got a sheep around his shoulders. Metaphors, you know what I mean? But there's warmth there, you know? This is great podcast. This is great radio, right? Uh, but like looking <laughs> at an icon, you know what I mean? Like, And and even sonship, it has to do with glory, right? Mm-hmm. He's the the, he's the firstborn son, yeah. the status of sonship. It's yep. not just he's, he's God's child. Yeah. Right? We're God's children. Yeah. He's God's son. Yeah. And you can say, uh, well, we should interrogate that notion of the firstborn son getting all the father's glory. And guess what? The story of Jesus does, it does undermine that because he, he loses it all for our sakes to include us, right? It's not competitive. So if you can get out of a competitive schema, then the metaphors can be redeemed. Is yeah. that making sense? Yeah. But so I'm, that, that was just a rant, but riffing off you saying like, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. The, the concrete language, is utterly essential for yeah. our God talk, yeah. and the best way to to balance, in my view, to balance out the problematic aspects of concrete imagery is just other concrete imagery. Yeah. <laughs> that, that you know, it's like hell is hell is fire, but it's also darkness. Hey, guess what? You can't have fire yeah. with darkness. So clearly, it's a metaphor. But yeah. let's not just talk about nothing. Let's talk about. Let's put all the metaphors next to each other and, and the problematic parts might cancel each other out. Does that make some sense? You know, yeah, fine. Yeah.
1: And, and that's why it's so, that's one of the benefits of preaching the lectionary is, yes. is that we are given a plethora and not just preaching the New Testament, but yes. pre- well, preaching the First Testament, the Old Testament, however you want to say it, right? But um, because yeah, there's a plethora well, of images, there's, there's feminine images of God and we're not doing any disservice to preach those because they're scriptural. They're, they're part of the imagination that God wants to give us in being hidden in the cleft of the rock. And, and I mean, we talked about it from Luke a few weeks ago about Jesus gathering the chicks under, (laughs) under his wings, right. That, that, and and of course, anyways, but well, but it's okay to come out there because this is
0: This is general homiletical advice and we don't always have to have a full sermon for our listeners. We can also just give, Hmm. you know, general hermeneutical and homiletical, uh, counsel that Hmm. we've received that we hand on to them. And um, along with that, I mean, one of the things that, and, you know, listeners, if you want to chime in on this on, uh, on, on social media, but like, um, to me at John L. Drury, it, it's a question like, you know, we've got a long, uh, fresh text can last a nice long time because the lectionary cycle is three year cycle and there's four texts. So it's like 12 years of content. If we want to mm. question is at what point do we want to jump off the gospel readings and switch to the OT readings? Mm. I, I'm torn because I'm enjoying Luke. I'd like to do some, maybe some Luke this summer, but. That's, I don't want to just do gospels for three years and then finally get around to the Old Testament too, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I'd love to, to hear from, from y'all. But nevertheless, uh, where would you land the plane? If you were preaching this Sunday, uh, where might you go? I mean, we, we've already got kind of some of the themes, but how would you narrow it down? Where's your focus?
1: I think that I would try to delve into these words of my, my children. And the son, the firstborn son is the one who is, is receiving the honor and the status of the father. And to be called the children of the sun is is to accept being subordinate to him, that we are setting ourselves out of the out of the place of primacy. So there's some people that need to that need to know that their life is not all about them. At the same time, there's some people who need to know that you are you are in the sonship of the sun and they need yeah. to be and need to be elevated. And so I don't know if I could preach that to both of them, but I'd really like to delve into Afflict the comforted and comfort the afflicted. Yeah, works, <laughs> it's, it's, decent, it's but, really you know. tough to do in the same sermon. But, it is, um, but I think I'd want to go into that. But it might be
0: necessary on this sermon because this is a sermon of inversion.
1: It's well, all about so know. much <laughs> of my so much of my mind is going around social media, and yeah. for some people, it's like it's like social media is a platform to announce announce themselves. And for others, it's, it's a platform to receive validation. And they both use the same medium. And you could tie that into themes of glory, like announcing my glory. Here, uh, here are yeah. my accomplishments. And then the sense of, please recognize me, right? If you recognize me, then, yes. then I will have meaning. And there's a way that, that, that's playing the same game, just from different sides of the coin. And, um, I think if I could name the ways that we play the, the limited glory game. Both of yeah, announcing announcing our glory and, and begging for others' glory, and say how that's completely undone in the father-son relationship. But on the condition of uh, to give you love yes. one another, that if you want to be out of that game, you, you are drawn into a different relationship, which is that of self-giving. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and you only recognize that you've got something to give if you see yourself as one of status and you only have, you only recognize that you've got something to give, sorry, you only take the command to give if you put yourself in the posture of one who receives commands. So there's there's this, there's this, um, good, good news of humility in both ways. It brings down those who are proud and uplifts those who are, who are selfless. You know, in, in the worst way, like don't have a self, don't think they're, they're of value. So I think I want to get in into the weeds somewhere with that. Yeah. That the the command to love one another means that we accept a command, but it also means that our actions can be meaningful and drawn into the eternal life of, of God.
0: That's beautiful, man. I want to hear that sermon. Yeah. <laughs> so do I. Whoever's preaching it? <laughs> I just, just got to go write it, right? <laughs> Maybe one of our listeners will run with it and write that sermon. Oh, that'd be so great. Wouldn't well, that be so cool to I have? If, I wonder if it's already happened. We just don't know it. That'd be awesome. That would be that'd make so me so cool. happy. I'd I love... sir... I hope they don't credit us. No, I just, love <laughs> them. I just love for that them. would be really important to me. I would just love for them to. This is to like just a conversation with friends because yeah.
1: it is. It's like I'd like
0: to hear it privately. Yes. Yeah. I'm... Just because it encouraged me to keep doing yeah. it, I, I wouldn't
1: mind a little glory. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but then you can see it's glory from God, right? That's because it, it was God. It was, it's God's word who is yep. proclaimed. It's God's word who is that is discussed here. Like I said, fifty-one percent.
0: <laughs> I, th- I think that's the sermon I want to preach I think I want to preach that thing. I, I, I think wait, before wait for the this sermon. conversation the, the, I mean it's the same sermon okay. it's just in a different okay. angle right okay. it is but focusing on on that notion of like just to just to care a little bit more about God's glory mm. than other people's mm-hmm. glory okay. instead of this all or nothing thinking yeah which is how we used to usually kind of a lot of people say like people who can't take a compliment you know like oh no it was all God it's like no, it, it was you too. <laughs> you were doing something, and I'm saying it's kinda like, no, I know Glaude did most of it. I already praised him during the worship mm-hmm. service. When I'm telling you good sermon, I'm talking about the human thing mm-hmm. you did. Mm-hmm. You did a pretty good job. Yeah. Just graciously take the compliment, man. Yeah. Just say thanks and move yeah. on. Uh <laughs> uh and I s and I made that sound like I'm uh criticizing someone. I'm just talking about myself. I used to be <laughs> so bad at it, I'm still am, but I've got the it was just a habit. My wife just kinda just kinda beat it out of me, just constantly saying like you know, it, it, it's just awkward when you just don't take the compliment. Just say thanks and move on. Yeah. You know, most people are not really that worried about it. They're not glorying you more than God.
1: No, <laughs> You're the one who's <laughs> competing with God. Precisely because they're not in competition. No
0: competition. Right. So that would be the theme is to kind of say something about a – I mean, here's the, here's the conceptual theme. This is a terrible title because no one would know what the heck I'm talking about. But the title in my head is The New Economy of Glory. That's the title in my head but I might try to translate glory into something like recognition or some word that would make sense to modern ears, mm-hmm. even just translate it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, maybe find a way to, or just define it very clearly early in the sermon, but to really focus in on entering into the, the, the giving and receiving of the infinite giving and receiving of glory between father and son. And then, and then the whole point is ending mm-hmm. on that love command that one of the greatest, you know, uh, acts of love you can give to another person is to just recognize them. To, to, it's the line from, uh, Avatar, you know, when they, vi- when they see each other, uh, mm-hmm. when, when they, when they meet the way they, the way they greet each other is, I see you.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Right? And like, to be seen is such a fundamental human need, you know? Yep. It's the first way love is experienced by an infant.
1: Yeah. Is
0: the eye contact yep. with the, the, the caregiver.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, that's that father son. That's where it's mother son too. that aspect of glory is, is, is just so intimate. Mm-hmm. And so the intimacy of glory as a kind of just, I see you, I see my wife and I st- picked that up, that language from another friend, another couple we knew who shared that with us. And like, that just was so helpful because like, even sometimes I'll write something that I'm just, I'm struggling with and she'll just say, I see you and that's all she has to write. And I know that's everything. That's all I need to know is that she sees me, Mm -hmm. you know, not sometimes I don't even need to know. I forgive you or I, or you understand it. Maybe you don't understand it. Maybe you don't forgive me. Maybe you are still mad at me. I just want to know, do you see me? Mm -hmm. You know, do you recognize me? And and that's what glory is at at its heart. And that aspect of glory is retained in, in its transformation by, by the eternal love of God in Jesus Christ. I just feel like there's some sermon there. Um, built around recognition. Mm. And I think I could probably tell some funny stories like the one I
1: already told earlier about
0: (laughs) (laughs) oohing and aahing and things like that. But yeah,
1: Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of, you could even use an incarnational metaphor for when others give you glory. It's it precisely because it's not in competition that they can see you and see God in you. That Mm. to the extent that they truly give you proper glory, they are actually still giving God glory because Glory given to you does not mean it's not given to God. True glory given to you is glory given to God. And then you go back to Irenaeus, of course, so that the, the glory of God is the human being fully alive, right? Yes. So, so it was, it's, uh, Robert Barron that, that helped me with, the, and he uses the phrase, uh, non-competitive transcendence. Oh, yeah. yeah. That the, the, the ability of God to have meaningful work and to be overarching this whole thing does not undermine human activity and, and the importance of human agency because uh, they're not in competition with each other. They yeah. they are both they're both meaningful. In fact, one rests on the other. We yeah. do not have meaningful agency ourselves outside of transcendence. That's why human that's why Christians can't be strictly materialists. Mm-hmm. Right? We otherwise there is no freedom. There is just simply chemicals interacting right. with, with one another. But that sense of non-competitive transcendence leading into non-competitive glory that God is glorified when the human being is properly glorified. And of course the the human being is properly glorified in the gospel of John as he is obedient to the father because Jesus Christ is the true human.
0: Yeah. That's, that's inspiring a tie in for me. So two weeks before this passage is, um, so listeners who've been regular listeners would have already heard this one from conversation with, with Amanda, my wife on the John 21 passage where you see, but you see it even John 20 of, peter and the beloved disciple sort of competing <laughs> right mm. who can see first who can get there first? right mm-hmm. what about him yeah, yeah, yeah right um there's a tie-in here yeah. um in many ways oh. this is the theological grounding and or you could flip it around i was going to say this is the theological grounding for for the kind of non-competitive relation that gets the last word in the gospel of john right yeah is a non-competitive relationship between disciples that is the the, that, that's the very concrete manifestation of love one another. Yeah. It's saying, yeah, yeah. hey, Peter and beloved disciple, cut it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it could be that when this gospel is being written, there's competition between communities who yeah. recognize one as their primary. Yeah. You know, there could be Ephesus and Rome could be competing. Who knows, right? Mm-hmm. We don't really know for sure, but there's, we know that happened later. The different, yeah, the different, John, yeah, right? yeah. So, yeah. uh, different episcopal. Areas were competitive with each other. And, um, but anyway, I bring all that up to say, I was going to say this is the basis, the theological basis, but of course, this is a good moment of where eisegesis and Exegesis kind of bleed into each other. Cause it could be that the, the writer of this gospel, whose I, whose I, or at least the witness, the basis of this writing is identified as the beloved disciple. It could be mm-hmm. his own struggle with competitiveness vis a vis Simon Peter mm-hmm. that, gave him an insight into Mm -hmm. how the glory of God works. (laughs) Right? Uh, It could be his experience that came first. It could be the theology that came first. It could be they all just emerged together. You know, the order is not as important what matters is the truth. You know, don't ask where it comes from. Ask if it's true. You know, Um, so anyway, that's just a a real concrete manifestation of a non-competitive giving and receiving of glory. It doesn't mean no glory. It's not the humility of just, oh, I'm dirt, I'm nothing. It's Standing nice, st- strong, and tall next to someone else standing nice and tall next to God who is infinitely tall, right? Yeah. Um, I don't need to grovel to yeah. be humble. I can yeah. just be me, which is back to the arrogance with which this conversation started. I'm <laughs> uh. No, ni- neither uh, true humility is neither arrogant nor uh, self-deprecating. It's just genuine, honest, authentic sense of who you are. Yeah. And it- out of that, you can
1: give. Self deprecation is ironic, right? Self deprecation reveals that a person actually thinks they have authority over themselves to put themselves down. Uh, I'm learning
0: a lot today, Aaron. You're good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, John. This has been an
1: enjoyable podcast. Oh, this is a mutual glory. (laughs) I see you, John. Oh, oh, man. I hate that so bad.
0: All right. Well, and our hearers hear me. Well, uh, thanks, uh, to all our listeners, uh, for listening in. Thanks to Aaron for giving an hour and, uh, and entering into this, uh, exchange of glory. And we want to offer some, uh, glory to our, uh, um, producer, Eric Fisher, who does a great job making this sound good. Um, and making us uh, sound better than we are and uh, making us sound smarter by cutting out the ums and, and things. I don't, know. I don't know how much that he does but anyway um, definitely makes it sound great so thank you Eric um, thank you also to Tom Adamson for donating the music and um, yeah I'm, I don't know I'm kind of feeling uh, grateful you know, th- th- thanks IW for letting me use this office to run my own podcast um, but anyway um, so thanks so much though Aaron and, and to all our listeners uh, we hope you have a uh, good preach and a great week